Look, our brains are great at lots of things, but remembering passwords is not one of them, especially not secure passwords. Let's free our brains from being password managers and get something way better. 1Password. One 1Password one keeps everything private and in sync across multiple devices. 1Password can't see the passwords or sensitive information you store in 1Password, so they can't use it, share it, or sell it, and neither can anyone else. I've been using 1Password for about 10 years now, and it's made my life so much easier, especially using it with Touch ID and Face ID. It's the first thing I install on any new phone, computer, or tablet I'm using for myself or my family. And all you have to remember is one strong account password that protects everything else your logins, your credit cards, secure notes, or the office Wi-Fi password. And I love that something I use to save me so many hours, I can't even count them all, is something you can try too. Right now, my listeners get a free two-week trial at onepassword.com slash beyond for your growing business. That's two free weeks at onepassword.com slash beyond. Don't let security slow your business down. Go to onepassword.com slash beyond. Hello, welcome back to another episode of Beyond the To-Do List. I'm your host, Eric Fisher, and this is the show where I talk to the people behind the productivity. This week, I'm excited to share with you a conversation I had with Dave Crenshaw, who has come out with the second edition of his book, The Myth of Multitasking, How Doing It All Gets Nothing Done. And we all have known for a very long time that, that multitasking isn't really a thing, that you can't do good work when you're doing multiple things at the same time. But it goes much deeper than that. And I want to, with this conversation with Dave, dispel that myth of multitasking once and for all. And in talking with him, show you where some of the pitfalls are that we fall into thinking we can multitask or attempt to do so, like on video meetings or when we're doing one thing at home, like double screening, and so that we can identify when those possible multitasking traps start to happen and to create better habits and practicing better ways of doing things in a focused way to eliminate, one, the temptation of multitasking, which again, doesn't really happen, but we think it does, and instead, how to free up more time and focus better and single task to better productivity. So I'll just get out of the way and say, enjoy this conversation with Dave Crenshaw. Well, this week, it is my privilege to welcome to the show, Dave Crenshaw. Dave, welcome to the show. Thanks, Eric. Glad to be here. So uh, you have a new book out, pretty recent book. It's called The Myth of Multitasking, How Doing It All Gets Nothing Done. And if that second part of the title doesn't describe my day some of the days or listeners days (laughs) some of these days especially in the most recent history i don't know what does so i'm really excited to talk about multitasking i don't think we've ever talked about specifically multitasking so it's really good to have an episode focused in on that yeah well it deserves the attention for sure yeah well and that's exactly what we're talking about when we talk about multitasking aren't we is is literally where we're placing our attention and keeping it there and, you know, keeping the appropriate amount of attention on the right thing to drive things to completion. Right. 
Right. And not doing that results in the opposite of what many people think. And it's, it's a significant problem. Technically, this is not a new book. This is the second edition of a book that first came out in 2008. So what I did was, you know, I saw, hey, things have evolved since then, as you might imagine. And so I needed to update it with, uh, you know, the latest research and also uh, some of the issues that we face now that we didn't face, uh, you know, 13 years ago. Yeah. Well, actually, let's let's take a couple of minutes and just dive into that, because there's a lot that's changed since 2008. I mean, that's 12, 13 years now, actually. What are some of the major differences between then and now? So the first is that when the fir- the book just came out, there was some research about how ineffective it was, but it was just sort of in the beginning stages. So there wasn't an awareness that there is now. I mean, since then, gosh, dozens of studies have come out and talked about how ineffective multitasking is. And then at the same time, you haven't seen any change in behavior. <laughs> it's actually gotten worse despite all of these uh, studies and the mounds of evidence. And part of the reason is the proliferation of channels, just so many different ways that we can communicate with each other. We got text, we got email, we got Asana, we've got Slack, we've got, you know, all these calendar invitations, the social media, which I know you're very familiar with. There's so many different ways that we can communicate with each other. And, you know, the hope, the idea behind it is, well, it'll make it more productive. We'll be able to be more connected to people. But in fact, what's happening is we're feeling less connected and we're feeling like we're just constantly spinning our wheels and not getting anything done at all. Yeah. Well, and thinking about the the year 2008, I'm thinking back to the year before that when the iPhone first came out, the first one of the first smartphones, I'll say. And even at that point, though, it didn't have an app store that wasn't for a, you know another year or two later. But about that threshold of let's take a guess here, a stab of 2009, 10, 11, when it and the, the Android you know counterpart of smartphone just adoption boom that then there you I mean, you talk about channels. What about the thing that's constantly with us that enables us to be jumping from channel to channel to channel wherever we're at, no matter what? Yeah. One of my favorite comedians is Gary Goldman. And he said to call a smartphone a phone is like calling a Lexus convertible a cup holder. (laughs) We don't really use these phones like phones anymore. And there's nothing wrong with that. I I don't believe that technology is necessarily the problem. It's our improper use of technology. It's the fact that these devices are evolving far faster than we are evolving with our capacity to use them. And that's where people get into trouble with multitasking is they think that they're being more efficient and more productive by you know jumping in and out of different apps and having a conversation in person and then jumping back on their phone. But when you do that, you're actually paying tremendous amounts of, of switching costs. And, and that, that isn't just a loss of time. It's an increase in stress. It's a damaging of relationships. And it's an increase in the mistakes that we make. Yeah. Well, so let's jump into like really defining the word multitasking, because I, I have been a I don't want to say a sufferer of the myth, but I, I have definitely felt the symptoms of the myth of multitasking that, that in other words, multitasking one is something that's a viable option to get anything done. And that two, it's a tool you should have in your toolbox. 
How would you describe the myth of multitasking and even define the word multitasking? Yeah, the, the most important part of the myth is understanding that it just simply does not exist. We're using a phrase that is describing something that isn't actually occurring. What is actually occurring when you think that you're multitasking is either one of two things. It is either switch tasking or it is back tasking, which is sort for background tasking. So when you are trying to perform multiple attention requiring tasks at the same time, let's say like you're listening to this podcast while you're trying to answer email, you are not really doing both at the same time. What you're doing is you're switching rapidly back and forth. So you give a little attention here and then you give a little attention to something like that. And every time your attention switches, you pay switching cost, which, as I mentioned, increases how long things take, how many mistakes you make and so on. There is another thing that can occur, which is backtasking. And backtasking, short for background tasking, means something mindless or mundane or automatic is occurring in the background. That would be like listening to music while you're driving a car. And backtasking can be effective. It can be productive. But the problem is when most people think, I'm a good multitasker, I'm multitasking effectively, what they're really referring, referring to is switch tasking. And that's never productive, never efficient. You're always going to pay cost when you attempt to do that. Interesting. I know there's another term out there that I've heard of. I I believe it's dual tasking where somebody is doing two tasks at the same time. But it's because if I'm getting this right, it's because both the tasks don't require attention or even one of them. Actually, there's two different examples here. Let me give both of them separately. One is I I love to drive while listening to music or podcasts. And at that point, um, like you were just saying, I think that it doesn't require tons of energy or focus, though it should if I'm driving. Podcasting does make me feel better while driving, though, so it's kind of like it helps me. But the other example I was going to give was there's the automation side of things where, for example... I could say I'm doing laundry and doing the dishes at the same time because I already put the laundry in the machine and then walked away. It's doing it for me. Does that make sense? Yeah. And and I've, I haven't come across the term dual tasking before, but it, it, that what you're describing is what I would call back tasking. Yeah. Meaning it's happening in the background. It doesn't require your attention. I can start my printer printing a big print job while I'm answering email. That is productive. But it's interesting, you know, you, and I brought up the example and you brought up the example of listening to music or a podcast, right? And so when I, I speak to audiences around the world, and one of the questions that someone will bring up, I'll say, hey, give me an example of effective backtasking. And someone will say, listening to music while working. I'll say, okay, this is a great example. By raise of hands, how many of you in the audience feel you are more productive when music is playing in the background and you're working? And it's almost exactly 50% of the audience. And then I say, okay, everybody lower your hand. For how many of you does it make you less effective to listen to music? And it's 50%. And it illustrates that, that principle of the difference between switch tasking and back tasking. For me, I, I have a background as being a musician. It makes me far less productive to have any kind of music in the background because I don't hear music. I hear chord structure. I hear lyrics. I hear structure. You know, lots of things are going in my head. And so it's causing me to switch away from the work that I'm doing. That's why when someone comes to me and they say, well, Dave, is it good if I do this or is it bad I do that? I say, well, you know, this isn't a question of morality. This is just a question of math. 
are you switch tasking or are you back tasking? If you're switch tasking, it's not productive. If you're back tasking, it can be productive. Not to mention literal single tasking, which I try to do more than ever before because I, I just find that if I don't create systems and time and space and boundaries that I know don't, <laughs> they don't block out the internal thoughts, although there are ways of dealing with that as well and shuttering those aside while you're focusing on the single task at hand and getting it done, let's say more efficient, but also much more effectively, higher quality of work. That's where I aim for more than ever before these days. And you highlight the importance of understanding what the goal is. Again, sometimes when I talk about this or people read the book, they'll say, well, Dave, if I keep practicing, I can get better at multitasking. And and that's like saying, you know, I'm getting better at doing things in the least efficient way possible. If you practice focusing and getting better at doing one thing at a time, that's always going to outperform even the person who spends their time trying to be as effective at multitasking as they possibly can be. Yeah. Well, and I want to make sure that we don't, you know, move on from talking about multitasking specifically, the symptoms of it, the downsides of it for anybody out there who still thinks that actual multitasking, not just the backtasking, but the multitasking specifically, you outline that there's three major consequences of multitasking. I'd love for you to let's cover these each slowly because I know I've lived them. <laughs> right. Well, the first is that things take longer you end up spending far more time doing all of the tasks than you would have spent if you were doing them one at a time. You know, I'll give an example of that. A business owner that I worked with, she gave me a story about how she was talking on the phone to a supplier. She was trying to answer an email and her assistant was coming in and asking her questions. She spent an hour in that situation. And then she realized what was going on. And so she decided to just focus on the phone call and then focus on each thing. And the total of it took her 15 minutes <laughs> when she did them one at a time. And we run into situations like that all day long where we're trying to type an email and then a text message comes in and we look at it. And just that act of switching away from the email that you're writing to answering the text message, it, it, the cost is greater than just the interruption itself. Because once you answer the text message and you type in the answer, you have to turn back to your screen and go, where was I? What was I thinking about? Oh, that's right. Okay, here I was. You have to reread the message and then start re-answering. And so these little moments happen constantly throughout your day. You know, there's a study by Rescue Time that found that the average worker can only go for about six minutes until they check their email or instant messages. That is 10 times every hour. If you include that, you know, at, at the bare minimum, that interruption is costing two minutes. That means that you're only getting at best, and this is a generous estimate, 50 or 40 minutes worth of work in every hour. I'm going to guess that most of those times that it's checked, that, that the messages or email or whatever channel is checked, there's nothing new there per se to do anything with. So you've, you've already wasted time checking over and over again when there's nothing there to do. But aside from that, um, what if there is something there for you to do? And then you start thinking about that, even though it's not the priority right now. Yeah. And, and we'll keep talking about the symptoms, but I, I want to mention that 
part of the reason why people do this is because of a psychological principle called variable response reward. And it typically applies to gambling, a variable reward schedule, right? You're pulling the lever at the slot machine because sometimes it will pay off and sometimes it won't. It's the same thing with an email, right? You, You think, well, what if that one message that I'm expecting waiting for comes in? It doesn't most of the time, but when it does, you feel rewarded. So you continue with that behavior that is much less productive. Still searching for a great candidate for your company? Don't search, just match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch that busy work. Instead, use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. I wish I had Indeed when I was in the hiring process in roles in the past because it is a slow, arduous headache of a process to find the right people, or at least it used to be, join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to find and hire great talent fast. In fact, in the minute I've been talking to you, 23 hires were made on Indeed, according to Indeed data worldwide. And listeners of the show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash to-do list. Just go to Indeed.com slash to-do list right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash to-do list. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. What's something that works so well, it basically feels like magic. For me, I'm thinking air conditioning, noise-canceling headphones, definitely. Meeting-free Fridays. What about selling with Shopify? Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your own shop stage to the first real store stage, you don't have to just sell your own stuff anymore. With Shopify Collective, you can curate products to sell from brands you love and give your customers more variety and your business more sales. Shopify is your no excuses business partner. Sell without needing to code or design. Just bring your best ideas and Shopify will help you open up shop. Shopify also helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms and sell more with less effort. Thanks to Shopify magic, your AI powered all-star sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash beyond. Again, go to shopify.com slash beyond now to grow your business. No matter what stage you're in shopify.com slash beyond. Let's keep going with these symptoms here. I want to address these. Okay. So the second one is that you increase the mistakes that you make. And I I have a little exercise that I do. In fact, if you want to do it, you can uh, go to davecranshaw.com forward slash exercise. It's free. And there's a little exercise that I do where I have people simulate what's happening when they're multitasking. And so they switch back and forth between writing numbers and letters. And the first time when they do it completely focused, it's easy. And then the second time when they do it, they're making mistakes all over the place. They're ending up on the wrong number. They're crossing out letters and numbers. They're going up and down. And this happens constantly throughout our day. When we are thinking we're getting more things done, we make a mistake. Then we have to go and backtrack it. And we're increasing our mistakes as we do that. And even the tiniest, silliest little activities can increase the probability of us making mistakes. I've seen 
you know, major construction companies lose tens of thousands of dollars simply because someone wasn't paying attention and trying to do multiple things at the same time. Yeah, man, it, it's almost like the reverse commercial for multitasking is, hey, do you want to do a bunch of things all at once and make it take longer and get it all done worse? Try multitasking. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The third effect is that our stress levels increase. And you can see this happen, you know, just on a, like a day-to-day sort of thing. Let's say that you're at home and you've got kids around or you've got a roommate or something and you're just playing a dumb game, right? You're playing Candy Crush or something like that. And then someone asks you a question in the middle of that. There is a visceral response that we have to it, even for dumb little things where it's like you're interrupting me and we feel that stress level. We live in an age where we have so many time-saving devices and we have so many stress-relieving outlets, and yet we feel we have less time and we're more stressed out than we've ever been in the history of the world. And that's simply because we're attempting to do too many things at the same time. Yeah, man. So I guess what I want to check on here, though, is do these three symptoms apply also to backtasking? If so, are they a lower percentage or they happen less? I find that most of these effects don't apply at all. The only time that you would start to experience it with backtasking is if you're starting to have to juggle multiple things at the same time and you're trying to think about them all at the same time. So typically it's it's a set and forget sort of thing. You just put it in autopilot and it happens. If I try to do that with three, four, five things, then yeah, you're going to start seeing that because now there is a new task and the new task is managing all these tasks. Does that, that makes sense? So it, it's a good idea to limit your back tasking to a couple of things simultaneously or, you know, delegation is another form of, of back tasking. If I delegate a project to someone and I don't check back with them for a week or two. Yeah, man. So, so it sounds like rather than multitasking, or honestly, we haven't really called it out here, but you refer to multitasking often and interchangeably as switch tasking, which in effect, that's what it is, switching tasks back and forth. It's not doing multiple things at the same time concurrently. It's actually doing multiple things, switching between thing to thing to thing to thing to thing, which even that just makes me dizzy saying it, let alone doing it. So, yeah. That's that's typically what's happening is we're, we're switching our attention. So that's sort of the question that if someone's listening to this, you want to ask yourself is, are you can you tell that you're making that switch when you start to notice yourself making that switch? Ask, how can I stop doing this? And often it's as simple as just putting the phone down or hiding it away or just rescheduling something that you're working on. You know, you recognize you're trying to do two things at the same time. Instead, schedule the time when you're going to work on uh, task B and focus on task A first. Yeah, 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 exactly. And and I think then moving into, you know, less of the describe the symptoms and call it out and identify it mode here in this conversation, I want to kind of pivot more towards the, okay, I think we get it. I think we understand that, you know, to varying degrees, we're all guilty of this and we all have various hardware, software, habitual things that enable it to happen more for us at times than at others or more for certain people than other people. But ultimately, I want to get to what the cure or the way to deal with it 
actually is. And I couldn't help but think of one of the things that as, as you were talking about, you know, the, the cell phone or the smartphone, even as we refer to it, maybe in the wrong way, but that there's this method. I mean, you, you even named it earlier. You were talking about, you know, knowing the goal and I couldn't help but think of the mix of those things where it, it's a matter of priorities and, and a matter of, okay, I've, I've blocked my time out correctly. I know what I'm working on and when I'm working on it. But then there's also this symptom, uh, you know, like you were talking about when we check our email and we constantly, you know, wonder if something new is, is going to be in there that we have to have some way that truly signals there is a moment here where a, a triage of shifting immediate priorities can happen is allowed to happen i'm speaking specifically in like the case of an emergency which are more rare than we think you know i I hear a lot of people listening and in their minds they're thinking okay but i may suddenly have to shift my priorities so even if i set them up ahead of time it all falls apart anyway what do you say to that well it, it starts with understanding that there's a difference between an emergency and an impatiency mm. and what most people are interpreting as emergencies are really things that could wait or could have waited if they planned properly so we first want to make that distinction in our head is this really an emergency or did it just become an emergency because i wasn't planning properly and the other thing i want to say is i never claim that it's possible to get rid of attention switches. That's not reasonable and that's never going to happen, particularly because of the world that we live in. What I am saying is that it's possible to greatly reduce the number of switches that take place. You know, there was a study, you know, back when the book first came out by Basex Research, and they found that the average knowledge worker loses 28% of their day due to switches and the recovery time from those switches. And so what I say to people is, can we reclaim all of that 28%? No, but can we reclaim a good portion of it? Can we reclaim 20%, 25%? Yes. So it starts by asking yourself, which of this could be avoided? And my guess is, if we really took a look at it and got strategic, most of what is occurring to you can be avoided. Now, this depends also on the kind of position that you have. If I'm in an emergency response position, then my job is to be interrupted, so to speak, right? But what you can do is say, all right, if that is my job, if that is something that happens regularly, how much time can I reasonably schedule for myself? Most people schedule their day far too full. They've got appointments back to back to back, and that doesn't leave room for the inevitable interruptions. So part of what you want to start doing is leaving buffer in your day, however much is appropriate. If you're in a position that it's appropriate and reasonable to get interrupted a lot, then you probably shouldn't schedule more than, let's say, 50% of your day full. So you leave blank spaces in your day with the expectation that the interruptions are going to happen. And the irony of that is leaving those spaces open actually makes you more productive. You get more done. And then if you're in a position that's less likely to get interrupted, maybe you only leave 20% of your day open. So much of what I do with people when I'm consulting them, when I'm helping companies be more productive is counterintuitive. It seems like it will be less productive to schedule less when, in fact, you get far, far more done and you're able to feel less stress and more focused. 
I know that's going to be hard for some people to hear and then to act on. <laughs> they're they're going to want to have, you know, if they've got the time, they want to fill the time. They've got so much to do. Why would I not schedule all those things to get done on my calendar? But <laughs> as I hear myself saying that out loud, I also can say, yeah, but you're scheduling all that stuff to do each day. And then most likely you're bumping it to the next day because you didn't get it all done anyway. Well, and part of the reason why people feel that kind of stress and resistance to it is because their time horizon is too small. I'll explain what I mean by that. Most people only think in terms of what can be done in the next two weeks. And they look at everything they need to do and they go, I can barely get this done within the next couple of weeks. There's no way I can leave extra space in my schedule. And what I help people do is start to stretch out that horizon and say, well, what about two months? What about two years? Can you start leaving that open space in your schedule a few months from now? And most people say, well, yeah, I, I can, right? Because they've given themselves enough runway for that to occur. But as long as you keep thinking in terms of this week and next week, you are always going to be burdened. You know, Eric, a lot of the stuff that I schedule, I'm scheduling out months in advance. And, uh, you know, this, this gets to another principle uh, is a question that I encourage people to ask, which is when is the latest this can get done? I believe that procrastination can be used positively if we start thinking in terms of what is reasonable for delaying something. And then that way we're leaving room in our schedule to focus on what is truly a priority and truly an emergency in the short term by scheduling things in the long term. Yeah. And then even if we start to employ some of the, I would call it out specifically, David Allen's getting things done methodology where you're looking ahead at things and maybe you did say, hey, when's the latest this could get done by and then never thought about it again. Maybe having that, you know, weekly or monthly check in and looking at the calendar and or the project management software of your choice and you see that thing coming up and you see it far enough out and you realize, oh, you know what, that now needs to be changed. But at least it wasn't like sitting in your current mental RAM this entire time. Well, the solution for that and a solution for a lot of things, a great way to reduce the number of switches that take place is to start using your calendar more effectively. That's another thing that I see is people either don't use their calendar and they're trying to do everything from the hip, so to speak, or they are using the calendar improperly. They're double scheduling things. They're you know, giving people too much access to their calendar. They've got multiple calendars running at the same time. You want to start looking at one calendar and then making commitments to the future. And then if you need to make adjustments to it, but blocking out that time in advance. I think of the calendar as your time budget, meaning I'm going to remove a certain amount of time that I think it's going to take to complete a project. I'm going to remove that from the calendar. And that gives me a healthy estimate of how much time I actually have available. Mm, yeah, that's a good idea. Well, and that, that end, not booking meetings and or time with yourself, because I highly suggest often that we, we do book time on our own calendars for specific things we are working on alone in focused time. But I don't suggest going, you know, time block, time block, time block, like back to back to back to back. You've got to have breaks in there 
<laughs> you know, you've got to get up, you've got to yeah. walk around, you've got to reset to, to clear out the, the residue of switching, you know, tasks to task to task, but in the good way, not in the bad way. Yeah. I want to see a healthy amount of space in someone's calendar. I also want to see a healthy amount of breaks. Uh, you know, I have another book called The Power of Having Fun, and it's sort of the flip side of this. You know, multitasking is about the myth of multitasking is about what you should avoid. The power of having fun is about what you should add that's also counterintuitive, meaning that you're creating breaks in your day. I call them oases. You create breaks in your day and in your week and in your month. And those breaks make you more productive. They help you perform better. So having fun is actually an important part of that schedule that you're creating for yourself. Yeah, I know that. <laughs> I know that there's been an upsurge in terms of working from home and working remotely in recent the recent year and and or years, and I know that there's a way of and I've done it for a lot longer. I've I've worked from home since uh, when was it 2014 now, so seven years and and change. And one of the things that has actually helped me feel good, you know, one of one of the things that I'd love to get your thoughts on here is for all the people out there who who are remote working now that maybe didn't used to. For me personally, one of the things that I have found is I like to have a tangible, you know, instead of working at a screen, having a tangible break that involves me doing something like dishes or laundry, you know, loading something up, moving something over, loading or unloading the dishwasher, doing some of the hand washing of the dishes there. Sometimes maybe, yes, with some music just to improve my mood or yes, sometimes even listening to a podcast, but sometimes and often actually just having a window open if the weather cooperates to have an atmosphere or something like that. I wonder what your thoughts are on that in terms of the relationship to multitasking or switch tasking. I like a lot of what you're saying. I would probably be a little more specific and push a little bit more toward doing something that is pointless rather than trying to be productive in this moment, try to be unproductive and try to focus on having fun. I had a course on LinkedIn Learning, which was the number one most popular course in 2020 called Time Management Working From Home. And part of that is scheduling time for fun and saying, I have to step away from work and spending time strengthening. You can strengthen your focus. You can get better at being able to focus on one thing at a time by focusing on having fun for a short period of time. One of the issues that we run into right now, and we're especially seeing this with, with kids that are growing up, is media multitasking. And they're conditioning themselves to jump from task to task simply by the way in which they consume enjoyable activities, right? They, they, have, they can't just watch a show on Netflix. They have to watch a show on, the net, on Netflix while they're playing with their smartphone. And Adults have the same problem. Yeah, yeah, I was going to say, let's call out the adults that are that are double or triple screening as well. Yeah. Yeah. And when you do that, you're actually you're you're decreasing your ability to enjoy the experience because of the stress that's caused. And you are further conditioning your brain to want to switch task, making it harder when it's time to do work. So I view having fun as an essential part of the schedule that should be scheduled in advance. And it should be focused on just as much as focusing on a project for your most valuable client. 
Interesting. So, so if you were counseling me or you were, you know, consulting with me about my workday, working from home workday, you would suggest, hey, Eric, you can still get that laundry done or you can still do some of those dishes, but those are productive things. Those, those aren't, those aren't fun things. I, I think somebody out there probably maybe considers them fun. Uh, <laughs> sure. But, but I would, I, I would think that you would say, Sure, you can do that, but that's still a, quote, work time block. And if you focus on it and single task it and do it, you know, it could take 10, 20 minutes and do that single tasking, then have some fun or vice versa, have fun before then. In in other words, take real breaks. Right. Yeah. And this is kind of a gray area because, you know, is doing dishes. I don't know if that's really or putting it in the dishwasher. There's justification for that being back tasking, but mm. don't say that that's a break. That's not a break yeah. unless like you said, you're a little bit, you know, unusual in how you define fun. <laughs> the, the real question is what is fun for me? What do I find enjoyable? You know, personally for me, Eric, I like to play video games. I know people who you know like to crochet. I know people who like to go for a walk or go out on their motorcycle, whatever it is. The question isn't what someone else thinks you should be doing for fun. The question is how you define it. And those must be in your day and they must be given just as much attention and focus as the most valuable things that you do. It doesn't take long. I'm talking like, you know, 10 to 20 minutes at most, and it doesn't have to cost any money, but just take that break. And then when you come back to work, you will find it easier to focus on the task at hand. Yeah. One of the other aspects of home working has been, let's just say, a really highly increased percentage of video or even audio calls that we've had to do uh, that that replace the meetings that we were having face to face. Now, I've been used to those for a long time, but I can say that, yeah, to a certain extent, the pandemic kind of increased that, you know, for me. I mean, there's the whole Zoom fatigue buzzword that's thrown around. What are some of the ways, you know, because I will say this because I feel like, oh, man, I'm in this meeting, but I've got lots of other stuff to do and I can just kind of still look at the screen without, you know, confession. I can still look at the screen and look like I'm looking at the screen and I'm in the meeting and I'm paying attention, but I'm looking at a different screen or I've got a second screen up. How would you talk about that in terms of the all these video meetings and curbing the, the multitasking going on there as well? Yeah. Well, okay. So first is the, the root problem. And part of the reason why people feel compelled to multitask is because the meetings themselves are either occurring too often, or they're just not valuable. And if you create a whole bunch of something that people feel isn't really useful in their day, they are going to feel that they are obligated to multitask simply because the meeting leader, the meeting organizer didn't really have a clear agenda and isn't efficient in the way that they run their meeting. So before I talk about what we do as individuals to stay more focused, I would encourage leaders and meeting organizers to be more streamlined in everything that they do with it. That's going to remove some of that compulsion that people feel. Now, let's say that the meeting that you're in is valuable and you're finding yourself having a hard time paying attention. One of the easiest ways to do that is just to minimize or close all of the open windows on your screen and only leave what is truly relevant 
to the conversation. People can tell when you're not paying attention. They see your eyes going somewhere. They can tell that you're moving your hands on something. And unless it's completely obvious that it's related to the meeting, you're actually enacting the fourth effect. There is a fourth effect to switch tasking that we haven't talked about, which is you damage relationships. Whenever you switch task on a human being, you're communicating to them that they're not important, that they're less important than whatever it is that you're doing at that time. So part of being a good coworker and building up relationships with people is to also reduce that temptation to have multiple screens open while you're in the middle of a meeting. Yeah, man. And that, and that is, I think, what I have found to be one of the biggest ways for me to set myself up to have better focus in those meetings. I'll try to, if I'm taking notes, write it down on something tangible, you know, an actual pad of paper and a pen on my desk so that it looks like I'm looking down and then looking up again and looking down. And so, you know, not just for appearances sake, but to, to actually write the thing down there and tangibly process it. And then refer to those notes instead of switching screens, you know, while I'm staring at a screen in a meeting. (laughs) Yeah. Well, I like that because what you're doing is you're turning your participation in the meeting into an active task. And that doesn't surprise me because you're a productivity guy, right? I mean, you're doing all these interviews. You recognize the value of that. For everyone else who's attending a meeting who doesn't quite have that perspective, that's the leader's responsibility to make sure that they're engaging people with questions And they're making sure that a meeting is not a passive experience, but an active experience. Yeah, man. Yeah, I think that's one of the other pieces there is when those meetings are passive experiences, then there's just a matter of time. I mean, we start the meeting and then it's attention slope down and to the right from that point forward, unless it's an engaging meeting. Yeah. The two questions I wish people would ask more often is first, can we take care of this without having a meeting? And then second, how quickly can we do this? What's the shortest amount of time we could possibly spend on this? And instead, what happens is people like, oh, we need lots of time to talk about this. And oh, we need to meet anytime (laughs) something needs attention when it probably could have been handled through a couple of emails or even through a video email to a group. Yeah. Well, Ian, that, and that's the thing, you know, I, I will, I will full on admit this is something where I'm not the guy who wants to call meeting all the time. However, there are times where because I talk things out and can brainstorm better with somebody else with me, I've then defaulted to, Hey, can we meet? Even if it's just me and one other person. And what I'm realizing is, is if I can record a video and there, there are variable t- tools out there, like Loom is one of them that I've known of. There's a couple others. Even just recording a video natively and then attaching it to like a Google Drive or something and sending it. These are all great options for me to to kind of overcome that. I wouldn't call it a weakness, but just my style getting in the way of taking up other people's time. Yeah, and I don't think that there's anything wrong with that style. I think what maybe, and I don't know what's going on with the meetings that you're scheduled, but maybe changing the expectation. You know, maybe saying, hey, hey, let's just you and I meet. Are you okay with me brainstorming things out loud with you while you give me feedback with it. And maybe we don't need to have three, four people in the room. Maybe it's just us two, but we're doing it with the express purpose of brainstorming. That gives that permission to someone to go, okay, this isn't a passive experience. This is an active experience where I'm trying to help Eric. 
right? And so much of what we run into with people switch tasking and poor communication, stuff like that is just a matter of expectations not having been established. Yeah. And I think that's, again, that's, I think part of it that even goes back to, you know, what you were talking about is establishing expectations, establishing priorities, doing some of this single focus tasked work of planning and pre-work so that when you're in the thick of the workday, you're less prone to start to feel the creep of, I've got too much going on. Let me start to do multiple things at once. Yeah. And now we're going back to how are you scheduling your day? Are you giving yourself buffer space? Are you scheduling things far enough out into the future? Busy is a four-letter word. It should not be part of our vocabulary, and it certainly shouldn't be something that we praise people for. Oh, you keeping busy? (laughs) We say that like it's a good thing. And that perpetuates switch tasking, that feeling that we always have to be moving from one thing to something else. It's not about activity. It's about the results that we're getting. Yeah, man. There's so much more that we could cover here, and the book's got so much more in it. But I would love to direct people to this updated book and where they can find it. One, on your site, but two, if you want to say, is there a best place for people to pick it up? Well, if you do multitask book, that'll take you right to Amazon. And, uh, you know, I I find that that's probably the easiest place that most people are familiar with for getting the book. Perfect. And if they want to find out more and dig more into everything else you're doing in terms of your YouTube videos and everything else, where can they find you? Yeah. DaveCrenshaw.com is the best place to find me. I'm also, I'm super active on LinkedIn. So you can look me up, Dave Crenshaw and follow me. I'm giving tips and, and helpful stuff every day almost. Awesome. Dave, it's been great talking with you. I hope that this helps people out in terms of getting a handle on what I think has become even more of an ever-present problem. Even for people who didn't used to struggle with this, they've kind of fallen into it and and we're providing a bit of an awareness and a way to get out. So I've been really excited talking with you about this. I've enjoyed it, Eric. Thanks for the invitation. Well, that's another episode crossed off your podcast listening to-do list. I hope that you enjoyed this conversation with Dave Crenshaw. I know that I did. It's great to revisit and really finally stamp down this idea that multitasking is a myth. We're not ever really multitasking. I hope that as you were listening, you were able to identify some places where you fall into either thinking multitasking is possible, as well as attempting to try to do it with honestly very little success. I know that I have. And instead, move forward with better focus and freeing up your time and getting more done and or spending less time to get the same amount done, which is also a productivity win that most people don't call attention to. Either way, if you enjoyed this conversation and you know somebody else that needs to hear it, would you do me the favor of sharing it with that person? Hit that share button in the podcast player app of choice that you're using or head on over to beyondthetodolist.com and hit the share button there from the show notes. Thank you again for sharing. Thanks for listening, and I'll see you next episode.
Hey, thanks for listening to the end. If you're looking for a show to start helping you apply these productivity lessons on your business, check out Millionaire University. It's real lessons from real entrepreneurs teaching you what you need to know to improve your business or start one if you've been putting it off. It covers all aspects of business from starting marketing, growing, managing, and everything in between, wearing all the hats. And as an added bonus, I am conducting a number of those conversations, those interviews. So you'll fit right in. Again, that's Millionaire University. Just search for it in Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you're listening to this podcast.